Welcome to the Give Back Economy, a podcast about social innovation and social enterprise. Now with your host, Peter Miller. So welcome and today we're going to Halifax, Nova Scotia to connect with Tyler Colburn, who's the Community Director of Inspiring Communities. And he has quite a story to tell, as well as the communities. So, Tyler, welcome. Thank you. I, I'm also, as someone who has a podcast, I just want to say your intro is really good. Okay. <laughs> I love it. It's really nice. Okay. So, Tyler, tell us about your academic career after high school. Uh, I'm not sure if you've done any prep work on this. This is a long journey. I only recently graduated university. Um, It took me 18 years to get a degree. I went into school. Well, first of all, I grew up in a rural area in a military family, and neither of my parents had graduated high school or did any post-secondary, and uh, I didn't really know what options were available to me. I just knew that I really loved Steve Irwin, the crocodile hunter, and I was like, that looks like a fun career. I should go and try and become whatever he is. Um, and so it led for me, led me to going to school for biology at Acadia University. And after two years of like doing experiments and labs and like dissecting parasites, I was like, this isn't for me. Um, so I kind of went on a journey of experiential education. I was very lucky to do a program with Canada World Youth. I spent three and a half months in Quebec and three and a half months in West Africa. And uh, from there, I kind of leapfrogged a little bit. Very lucky to be able to, to try out some different things, do different programs. I did a diploma in ecotourism management from a community college here, the Nova Scotia Community College, and that was a great experience. Um, and I wasn't really convinced like that was the career for me either, so I uh, then decided that I was going to <laughs> go into the military, which <laughs> I look back now and I think that is wild. And so I didn't end up going, then decided I was gonna go to school for, to become a sea captain. And so I went to school for nautical science in Newfoundland, only did a year of that. Um, from there, I tried a couple of different things. I went, to, I did a semester in business, and, and then I did some English for a while. And I, I just was really confused at what I wanted to do. Alongside all of this, as well, I should mention I um, I was into drinking and drugs, and so um, my life was got, getting very complicated, and I was very unhappy a lot of the time. Um, but when I got sober about five years ago, I decided to go back to school, and I did social work at Dalhousie. So I just graduated. 2020, in the middle of the pandemic, um, after 18 years of trying a million different programs, I am now a social work candidate. And so that's that's the career track I'm on, and I'm going back to school in the fall for my master's at University of Victoria. Terrific. So yeah. you're going to move out of town? No, I'm, I'm lucky that the program is distance. Um, there oh. is an on-campus residency component that's canceled for this year because of COVID and safety precautions. So I'll do probably about two years, uh, maybe a thesis component um, for my master's. Well, in between all of this education, mm-hmm. can you tell us about some work experiences that you had? <laughs> yeah, totally. I've, uh, I often tell people I've had over 45 jobs. So I've been everything from uh, a residential youth counselor um, in Newfoundland. I worked for a place called Choices for Youth. That was a great job. I worked for Katinovic as a project leader and coordinator. I worked with Canada World Youth, the same place where I did a program. I ended up working for them for three contracts. A lot of nonprofit. Um, I did. I've worked in marketing and communications quite a bit. Um, some um, like 
service work, um, you know, retail. And then I also did a lot in tourism. So I worked as a pirate on a tall ship for three summers here in Halifax, uh, like a 85 foot schooner, you know, taking uh, tourists out every day. It was a lot of fun. So I've been all over the place. Um, I've been a flight attendant. I did that for a year, worked for Porter Airlines. Uh, and when I tell the story and I like think back to how lucky I am to have been able to do so many different things, I didn't feel lucky a lot of the time when I was going through these experiences because I was often underpaid or, you know, and didn't have job security. But I look back now and I feel really blessed and privileged to, to have done all these different types of work. And, and when I think about it, there's a through line and it's usually around people, you know, wanting to either help them have a good experience or allow them to see the world in a different way. Um, whether that's like through hiking or being a flight attendant or being a social worker. Um, and also just like, I'm really drawn to, to fun and whimsy. And so I've had lots of jobs that didn't allow for much of that, um, but I still try to inject it whenever I could. Boy, that sounds similar to your education. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, um, it's, yeah, it's all over the place <laughs> in a really wonderful way. Which is terrific. Mm-hmm. So now you've ended up at Inspiring Communities. Mm-hmm. So where did that name come from? So Inspiring Communities, it's a relatively young organization. It's about two and a half years old. Um, but what had happened is um, we had a collective impact project that was in partway through United Way and the provincial government um, that was situated in, in Dartmouth North. Um, and so if you're not familiar with collective impact or the listeners aren't, it's a framework developed by a body of research that I could get this wrong, but from what I know to be true, it's they looked at like what were the the contributing factors to really successful movements or organizations or social change work. And they found a list of principles, they identified some factors and then eventually some principles that build up the framework for collective impact. And so they trialed one in Dartmouth North here in in HRM, the Halifax Regional uh, Municipality. And uh, it went really well. And it allowed uh, for there to be a shift in in systems within the community, uh, allowed people to come and feel empowered to be a part of change um, from across sectors and, and divides. And from there, the provincial government was really keen on establishing two other projects, one in Digby, Nova Scotia, and one in Cape Breton um, in Sydney Mines. And all this sort of happened alongside the, the generation of inspiring communities. And because the work was kind of co-housed between United Way and then the school board and the provincial government, when our school boards got disbanded here, what I understand happened is that uh, Inspiring communities needed a home, and so it incorporated and became its own nonprofit. And I think the the hope was that we wanted to frame things from an abundance mindset. You know, instead of seeing all the barriers and problems in society, we wanted to be able to step into a place of imagination uh, and co-creation, and and see opportunity um, in complex social challenges. Um, and so that's the name. There's another organization in New Zealand, actually, which is oddly very similar. And I don't think that it was a coincidence, uh, but they're very similar to us and have exactly the same name, Inspiring Communities. So what are the key directions in terms of programming and events? Mm. Well, it really depends on the initiatives. Um, the three, well, the four collective impact sites they respond to the needs as identified in the community. And so between the bridges, for instance, that's the one on Dartmouth North, during the pandemic in the early days, they recognized that social emotional supports are really important for the residents and for people there to be able to connect and move through the ambiguity and the complexity. So they did a lot of like trivia nights and games nights and just places for people to connect. And that drove a lot of the work for that time. Um, For our other projects uh, 
in North Sydney and uh, Sydney Mines, it's, there's a lot of work around harmful substance use because there's an opioid crisis in, in, that, in that area and people are dying all the time and there's really complex needs. And the work is around that. But there are work is also driven by climate justice and hope and, um, and you know, supporting people through all kinds of different needs. Um, and then in Digby, the work is often centered around the environment and youth. Um, and uh, it's a rural community, and they were also given uh, a five-year program through Tamarack and ESDC around youth engagement. Um, and one of the key, I guess, through lines through all this work is it's less about problem-solving approaches or like alleviating the symptoms. It's more about trying to address the root causes. So, you know, building up resilient relationships and connections and networks and communities so that people are empowered to meet their own needs in a way. We, we don't come in with a preset or a preset or defined um, approach or uh, program. It's more about uh, having a sense of curiosity about what might be possible when we engage with multiple people across many different walks of life to co-create solutions. Talk about the importance of partnerships to the organization. Well, even where I'm sitting right now, we're in an office in downtown Halifax, which Booktook is the uh, Mi'kmaq name for the community. Um, and it, there's four different organizations, five actually, if you include the other floor, and um, it's an old, uh, I think, colonial establishment. I think it was a St. Mary's Boys School, it was called. Um, and so there's my uh, inspiring communities. There's NSGov Lab, which is one of our partners. Uh, we have Community Links is an organization that's here. Community Sector Council is upstairs. We have Onside. Um, so for us, I think we view any way forward as an organization or any work that's gonna have the most impact has to be in partnership and collaboration. And we also know it's relational and that it takes a lot of time, which sometimes is in paradox or contrast with like the urgency that can come with social change or, or you know, complex social needs. Um, but I would say that partnership is, is probably like one of the key defining factors of our work. Um, and that can happen in many different ways. We don't have like a partnership stream or clearly defined um, uh, parameters around what it means to be a partner. We have partners in all kinds of different contexts in different ways and they're different in each community. Um, but even in like, I'd say our collective impact projects, we have people from government, we have people um, you know, from community residents, we have people from business, we have politicians, like all across the board. And, and even the funding, our core funding for the provincial work for collective impact is across eight departments of provincial government. So even, even our funders work in collaboration. Um, so we have eight, eight ministries or departments, um, social uh, ministries, um, that uh, fund our work. So let's go back to the title again. Mm -hmm. So do you inspire communities throughout the province? Hmm. I don't know. Uh, I would hope so. I think, you know, our three collective impact sites, um, Digby, Dartmouth North, and uh, and uh, in Cape Breton and Sydney Mines, I would hope that people feel inspired there. Uh, we do want to step into more open learning as an organization so that we can share our data and our knowledge and, and hopefully, you know, inspire change in other areas. If we learn some lessons and other people don't have to, then we should be able to communicate that so that people can learn from us. Um, I would say that because we're a relatively young organization, we're not super well known, I don't think. You know, we've had a few staff members join and they're like, well, where I live, no one knows about inspiring communities. Um, and I was like, well, that's fair our work has been very specific and focused on um, places. We have a couple projects that are more around network building and systems change um, that do have a broader reach, 
but I still think we, we don't have a huge audience at this point. So my hope would be that as we grow as an organization, or even if we don't grow, if we just keep moving forward with this work is that our lessons and our, and our people and our experiences can, can inspire change in other places. That would be lovely. I think that's the goal for most places, isn't it? Okay, here comes a more challenging question. Ooh, I love this. Uh, where is Tyler going to be three years from now? And where is Inspiring Communities going to be three years from now? Oh, gosh. Um, interesting. I'll start with the second question first. Um, inspiring Communities three years from now is both how long our organization is. So it'll be double its age in, in three years from now. Um, I suspect we'll still be doing collective impact work because we do have uh, commitments from government to continue with that. Um, our, my hope, and I think we've, our shared hope as an organization is to step more into work that is grounded in systems theory and complexity um, and advocates for work in, the, in those spaces. I think a lot of nonprofits and for impact and people focused on social change are really committed to the problem solving approaches or even empowering people. Um, and those are lovely, lovely ways to, to make change and, and to help people. And I think what is really required for a more just and harmonious world is for us to tackle the root causes and really dig deep under, you know, the surface of what is what is causing a lot of this. And I, I hope that we can do more long-term work in that area. I don't know what that means tangibly or what can I point to directly, um, but I think collective impact frameworks are really great. Uh, I think our work with Social Innovation Canada can grow. So I'm hopeful that we will continue to down those paths and and in three years from now, have a lot of learning artifacts and, and things that are publicly available that demonstrate what we've learned as an organization and what other people can take away from our work. Individually, three years from now, oh gosh, I don't know, I'm currently running for public office, um, provincial government, and I've run before um, federally and provincially for a different party, and now I'm running for the NDP. And before, I'd never really fundraised or campaigned in the way that I am now, and three years from now, I could be a member of the Legislative Assembly for, for um, uh, the province of Nova Scotia, or I could not be. I'm really hoping that I am, and things look really positive. Um, but much like my journey through my career and my academic career, I don't know. <laughs> I think what I'm really open to is less like a, a set idea or objective or goal. I, I think I'm more driven by my values, you know, having the opportunity to contribute to social justice and, um, and leverage my privilege as often as possible to help people who are minoritized or racialized or you know, impacted by barriers to have more freedom and opportunity. Um, I want to continue um, having fun as often as possible because I think that's integral to this work. We, I think we lose that very easily uh, when we're faced by all the hardness of the world. Um, I've done a lot of improv and comedy and I, I always see that as being a part of the work that I do. I'm also a photographer, so I'm really driven by creative pursuits. And so I imagine that will still be a part of what I'm doing. Um, hopefully I'll be finished my master's by then um, with a bit of research under my belt. and and some work that maybe contributes to the field that I'm so passionate about and macro practice and social work. Um, I imagine I'll still be in Nova Scotia. I really like it here in Mi'kma'ki and, and uh, my family's here. I'm not, I wasn't born here and my family's not originally from here per se. My family's, um, my mom's from England and my dad's from Newfoundland. Um, but I like it here. I like Atlantic Canada. I really appreciate the, um, the cultural vibes here, um, and we have so much to grow in terms of climate justice and reconciliation, you know, and I want to be part of that work as much as possible. Um, and I want to keep giving back as much as I can. 
So in terms of the organization, now this year you just got a new executive director. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And do you get any sense of what her vision is for the organization? Oh, Louise is pretty brilliant. Um, she's a great mind for process. And, and as I said earlier, our organization, our work predated the organization. And so as a young organization that grew, grew very quickly, we didn't have a lot of strong processes or we would establish a process and a procedure and then we would outgrow it really quickly because we'd have a new program or new staff. Um, and so we're in the middle of strategic planning, much like Social Innovation Canada, the journeys are very similar. Um, and so she's, she's really hit the ground running with um, helping us figure out some of those finer details. And there's tensions and paradox in our work and there always has been. And so who we are as an organization today could look different, you know, three years from now. And, and I think it should. Change is constant. You know, I, I think back to um, Parable of the Sower, you know, by Octavia Butler. You know, change is God. I don't not, I'm not an overly religious person, but I, just, I do love that framing, you know, because if, if you can hold on to that change is constant, you can move like water. So I think she's done a really great job of seeing where we have gaps and where we have opportunities and, and really helping us identify if, if we as an organization want to commit to equity and justice, it's going to take some more work, not just words. So in terms of the organization, during your strategic planning process, have you looked at going into other communities in Nova Scotia and other provinces in the Maritimes? Yeah, we started off as an organization committed to Nova Scotia, and that's where our provincial funding came from. Uh, but we've since had another a couple other pieces of work that broadened our reach to Atlantic Canada. And I think as an organization, we have an opportunity to to hold space across the region. You know, I think there's something really unique that defines Atlantic Canada. Um, our strategic planning, uh, we're doing an external stakeholder engagement, uh, very similar to what uh, Social Innovation Canada is doing. And uh, we just reached out to uh, a wide, um, I guess, wide reach. I don't know if I'm saying that right, but like we have a lot of different people from a lot of different backgrounds who are engaged in the process. Um, so yeah, we're definitely, we don't wanna be too insular. We don't wanna just listen to the data that's in front of us. We don't wanna just have you know our biases confirmed and then move along with that. We wanna make sure that we're challenged uh, and have voices that we don't currently have contributing to what, what we, how we move forward as an organization. So some of the groups that I work with have put together an operations, a communication, a financial, and a people management manual mm-hmm. in order to do social franchising. Mm. And what that means is doing what they're doing in other locations. Mm-hmm. Has that come up in your strategic planning at all? We're really early into strategic, uh, I can never say that word correctly, strategic planning. Um, and so it, not specifically, but I think what you're hitting on is that we want to find a sweet spot where whatever policies and procedures we have across the organization are fluid enough so that we can adapt them to local context. Also, I'll be the first to critique nonprofits and how nonprofits have been created and like how they fill in a lot of the times for gaps and services that I believe should be held by government. And so as we get more clear as an organization of what we want to do and what we're trying to achieve. I also hope that we can avoid replicating some of the same problems we're trying to solve. And so we don't want to be overly bureaucratic. We don't want to have a, a, you know, a hierarchy for the sake of hierarchy. We also want to know and operate in a way that allows us to leverage our power when it's useful. 
making sure that people, you know, feel safe and secure and they have a sense of belonging, you know, and within our organization. So where there's opportunities to have similarity across our work, we're going to have it. And when there's opportunities to be fluid, we definitely need to make sure we have that space as well. So besides government funding, mm -hmm. Tyler, do you have other revenue streams that yeah. help support what you're doing? Yeah, like many nonprofits, um, you know, we, we experience some of the challenge of having project-based funding, but not operational funding. Um, one of our central assumptions to our work is that we believe that there's an opportunity to host other work within our organization. If so, for instance, if someone wants to do something in a rural area, but they don't want to have to establish their own nonprofit or have their own board of directors, could they partner with us and then we support them, house their administration, their financing, et cetera. Um, so yeah, I think there's totally opportunities to test our models and assumptions and, and create more space for more people to be doing impactful work in their communities um, without hopefully, like I said earlier, recreating some of the problems we're trying to solve. Does that answer your question? It, it does. I mean, depending on a government for grant mm -hmm. can be risky. Oh, yes. That's the piece they missed in the question. Sorry, Peter. Yes, we do. And, and so as a result, it's always good to have other revenue streams yeah. that could either replace or support the grant source. Yeah. As a nonprofit, we have our provincial funding, which I would say probably makes a, you know, a good chunk of, of how we operate. Uh, and then a lot of the money that we get in goes into the projects. And so I work for the core team, the backbone um, and leadership team, and there's about six or seven people in the core team. And then we have staff all over the province and the, um, working on projects that operate kind of like their own nonprofit, uh, but without having to have a board um, and having to hold all the financial administrative duties. Um, but we do have other, uh, other funding. You know, we were very lucky to receive funding from McConnell Foundation for one of our network building projects, which wraps up this year. Um, we have funding from Tamarack on behalf of ESDC. We have some funding through uh, ESDC directly as well for another project that's wrapping up um, next year. And so we're lucky that we have multiple sources of revenue and what comes with that is complexity. And so like I mentioned earlier, as an organization that has, you know, grown um, and we've identified, you know, ways we can, you know, adapt and pivot and processes, we're also finding that it's very complex. Um, so there's a, there's a lot going on um, in terms of revenue streams and it doesn't all just go into like one bucket. It goes, it goes into many different areas um, and over many different areas of work. Um, and I think we would love to like be able to explore different types of work as well. We don't want to just be boundaried by what we're currently doing. We want to be able to think a little bit outside of the box and go, just because we're not doing that now, does that mean we can't do it later? Um, we, we have a strong set of principles and, and, and through the strategic planning process, I think we'll get more clearly defined values and mission and vision and understanding like what is going to be our impact three years from now. Um, it's hopefully that'll help us identify other areas of funding. Uh, and we also don't want to be an organization that just takes all the funding either, you know what I mean? We wanna work in partnership with people. So our work isn't really clearly defined sometimes. And, and if other people have more clearly defined work, is there opportunities for us to partner with them and share, you know, step into that abundant mindset and, and use what we're good at to support what they're good at. Um, I would love to do more of that so that we're not just the, 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 the sole uh, organization that's being funded. It'd be great if we stepped into more, more collaboration. 
Have you considered setting up a for-profit social enterprise as part of the nonprofit? I think anything's on the table. Um, last year, we acquired a charity, um, the Wayside Initiative, um, which is a really lovely uh, educational-focused uh, charity that's part of our work. And in that process, in taking on this other identity with its own people, that founded its own hopes, its own aspiration, its own social capital in a way, um, and without having a strategic plan or like a really strong sense of what we were as an organization, it allowed us to test a lot of our assumptions about what we were and what our identity is and wh where we thought we were going. Um, so after having that experience and seeing all the complexity that comes with taking on another charity and organization, because Inspiring Communities is a nonprofit, not a charity, I think we'd be open to exploring all kinds of things, as long as it lines up with like some sort of, sort of strategic direction or some north star we have to we have to define and, and evolve where we're going um, before we do that so i could see a social enterprise being valuable in our work and helping create revenue and also um, helping us have impact and giving back to community exactly yeah which is important so in terms of mm -hmm. uh, where the organization is going do you see yourselves as a vice president? Hello. We're dealing with the complexity of the internet. I didn't hear your question. Apologies. Okay. Have you um, considered yourself becoming a vice president, or do you see yourself moving on to other adventures? Could you repeat your question, sorry? Okay. As you move forward, do you see yourself as a vice president of the organization or moving on to new adventures? Me? Yes. Oh, gosh. Um, yes. I'm really lucky to work for an organization that has distributed power. And so we step into a lot of vulnerability and, and hard and wonderful conversations quite often. So um, traditional hierarchical models don't fit as well here. So I don't know, like seeing myself as a vice president or working in that kind of way. I don't know, because I feel like I have a lot of agency here in the role that I'm in. Um, and I feel very grateful and lucky to be able to, to say that because I've been very underemployed and, you know, as a queer person with a disability, you know, from a rural area with parents who didn't go to university, it's like very privileged, you know, as a white settler in this place, but also I didn't see a lot of opportunity for myself. So if I'd gone back, geez, even five years ago and like, was able to communicate with that person five years ago who's just newly sober, you know, just had just decided to go back to school and told them what I was doing now, they'd be like, you freaking made it, <laughs> you know? Um, so I, I don't want to lose that. And I am somewhat of an ambitious person and I have big dreams and goals and I have too many projects all the time and things that I want to do. And, um, and so I guess I'm less concerned about title um, and power and more concerned about where I can have impact and where I can make a difference. And, and so lately, you know, through going through going to school um, and seeing how much I loved research, which I was really surprised by, I could see myself stepping into more of that, um, you know, uh, within the social work macro practice and, and social innovation and social change. I was really, really taken by it. Um, and then again, it's like, who knows? I could be a member of the Legislative Assembly. That's what I'm hoping for, obviously. I wouldn't be running if it wasn't. Um, and I think for me... I hope we're working towards a world where people are, you know, paid equitably, no matter what job they're doing. You know, everyone has a bit of wellness. You know, everyone has some sense of freedom, and you know, and health. 
Um, and I really like the analogy of starlings for, for leadership because they, and when they fly in murmurations, there can be upwards of millions of them and, and any single bird in, in that pattern can shift the shape, the, the direction and the flow uh, of the pattern um, in murmuration. And I think that's what I hope we can strive towards as a, as a society is that no matter where you're at, no matter what your title is, no matter where you're working, you can have an impact. And uh, another example for this is a, a friend of mine, um, her mother passed away a few years ago and she was a, a server at a, at a gas station rest stop. And uh, I went to her funeral and it was the most amazing funeral I've ever been to. Hundreds and hundreds of people sharing stories about how, even though she was a server for 30 years, and I've been a server and a bartender, so I'm not, I will never discount those positions. I know how hard they are and like how much energy they take and how insecure they are. But what I want to point to is that so many people talked about how this woman in particular changed their lives. And I don't know if she ever had the opportunity to hear that. And it's too bad that it took a funeral for those stories to come forward. But it really reminded me that no matter where you are in life, you can make a difference. Um, and my hope, my greatest hope is that no matter where you are, you can make a difference and feel secure, you know, in finances and home. So final question, Tyler, what is the website for inspiring communities? Yeah, perfect. We have the main website is inspiringcommunities.ca. Um, it's complex. We're in the process. I'm lead the communications here, and, and we have lots of conversations about how we can tell our story better, how we can do it more clear, more impactful, more succinct. Um, so I would suspect it's going to have a refresh in the coming year, uh, but it's inspiringcommunities.ca. The other portfolio we hold is the Wayside, and so that's waysideinitiative.ca, and that's where we do our external learning. It's where our blogs are held, our courses. Um, so those are our two sources um, of information. Um, and I will say our projects, um, the one in Sydney, in North Sydney, in Sydney Mines, is Northside Rising. Um, the one in Between the Bridges and Dartmouth North, um, Between the Bridges, pardon me. Uh, and then we have Turning the Tide in Digby. Uh, and then we also have work with McConnell called Weave East. And then we have the Nova Scotia Network for Social Change. And on top of all those projects, we also have an evaluation stream. And so we have lots of embedded evaluators who are working with other organizations with developmental evaluations. But if anyone wants the, the Coles notes, the best place to go is uh, inspiringcommunities.ca. Thank you very much for your time. Pleasure. This has been great. You've asked some really great questions.